You are listening to the Nirvana podcast, episode 4, Bleach, side B. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Yudicha. Yes, and we're back in our great podcast studio. Yes. Also known as my kitchen. Kitchen. Yeah, in my apartment in Amsterdam. And today we're going to talk about side B of Bleach. Yes. So we're going to flip the final. We talked about the first half in the previous episode and we're going to talk about the second half of the album uh, in this episode. Anything you'd like to share with us before uh, I hit play for the first track? No. Okay. Not really? Great. Oh, uh, I, I, I know somebody yeah. who has something to say. Ah. It's it's our good friend uh, Chad Channing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, is he in somewhere in the kitchen? Yeah, here he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I almost forgot. Uh, Chad Channing was the drummer um, during the uh, Bleach uh, sessions and uh, and after that as well for a, for a short period yeah. of time. I came across a YouTube video uh, with an interview uh, with him and he said a little bit something about the recording process of, uh, of the album. So I'm going to have a listen to that first and then we're going to go to the first track of the second half. To begin with, I think we got pretty lucky to actually make the record that we did for only 600 uh, US dollars. Because uh, that's, I know that the very next time I, I ever made a record, it cost a lot more than that. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a kind of a, a rare thing. I think it's just one of those things that you never really know when you go in the studio and you record. And, and somehow, I guess there was just magic there that that week or something. Because you know it only took us just a little over a uh, little over a week just to record the record. So it didn't even take that long to record it either. But. Um, yeah, I, I look up back on it now and I think, wow, how did we ever do that? <laughs> yeah, so he was uh, pretty happy uh, with yeah. it, looking back at it. Nice. I, I think it was from an interview from, I think, even this year, okay. 2019, yeah. something like that, pretty, pretty recent. So uh, apparently there are no hard feelings uh, about how it, all went, no. uh, how it all went down. And it's uh, nice to hear him say that, uh, yeah, it all went so smooth and... Yeah. Relaxed, and then he talked about that. Um, it took them about a week, which is true if you count the uh, the number of days. But it's not it's not a, a week in a straight row because they recorded on Christmas Eve, nineteen eighty eight, December twenty ninth, and then December thirtieth and January twenty fourth of nineteen eighty nine. So that's when the recording sessions were. So right. it was actually only four four days with sessions of about five hours. And that, uh, that's still pretty that, fast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and pretty cheap. But we already talked about the budget of yep. the album uh, last time. So um, let's uh, have a listen to the first track of Side B, which is called Scuff. Give me 
Yeah, so that's uh, that's the opener of uh, the second half of the album. How do you like it? I have mixed feelings about this song. Um, when you really listen carefully, there's a lot of interesting things happening, but it's sort of too much. <laughs> um, what are the interesting things going on in this song? In well, your I, th- opinion? I think there's um, what I love about it is uh, the the way Kurt is singing because you can feel that these lyrics are important to him. It feels really sincere. It feels really heartfelt, and there's really interesting things going on in in the uh, instrumental parts as well. For me, it doesn't really all line up, so it no. doesn't feel like one perfect track. So that's why I, I like a lot of it, but <laughs> I don't like the whole of it. I yeah. guess. Yeah. I, what about you? Yeah, I get your point. It's it's. It's an okay song, I think, but it doesn't stand out to me. I do agree with you that it sounds pretty sincere, you know, with uh, especially uh, the opening line, in your eyes, I'm not worth it, you yeah. know. Um, if you dive into uh, Kurt's uh, youth a little bit, as we did in the first episode <laughs> yes. of this podcast, uh, well, you know, he had a lot to do with rejection and not feeling welcome and at home. So that does seem to... Um, express his feelings about that yeah apparently this this song relates a lot to his dad so yeah hmm. i can see that yeah me too but then again give me back my alcohol yeah. that's a bit trying to toughen it up or something like that and yeah trying to be i guess cool. so yeah. yeah or could be um because in in other songs um he sometimes um gets into a persona as well to me it sort of feels as if they're two different people so the person singing give me back my alcohol isn't the same person as as the one singing like the first part of the song but that's just my interpretation i have yeah. no idea if that's how it was meant but oh, that's yeah. how I, it I, feels I, to me yeah i never took it that way i always thought well uh, you know uh, the it starts off with a couple of lines in which he's a bit vulnerable mm-hmm. and then you know give me back my alcohol that's really you know trying to be a bit more cool and yeah. tough again. You know, it's not about my feelings. It's about, I want my alcohol. <laughs> exactly. Something, yeah. like, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. But give me back my alcohol. I was asked, well, who took it? Well, if this is about his dad and his childhood, then maybe <laughs> his dad took it. Yeah. And he, <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't there the story of his mother once um, taking a bag of weed from him? Yeah, and then she so. ate it and she got really stoned, something like that. Hey, yeah. It does sound like a typical Kurt story, yes. which isn't entirely based on <laughs> exactly. facts, perhaps. But uh, yeah, maybe yeah. something like that went yeah. on with his dad, but uh, then it could was be. about alcohol. To, to be honest, it could also be that, that that line, because basically you have that first verse and then you just have that line. That, that was just something that he added and maybe has no real relation to the rest of it. That sounds pretty plausible <laughs> as well, knowing Kurt as a songwriter. Uh, like I said last time, I have the um, uh, 30th anniversary edition of right. this uh, yep. uh, album. And um, well, basically what they did is um, they put on uh, uh, a lot of extra tracks from a live concert. Mm-hmm. Not even a, an, an extra disc. They just <laughs> managed to cr- cram it all cram on it one disc. Yeah. Um, but none of the uh, second half songs of Bleach are um, on the live tracks. Uh, 
Excellent. Except for <laughs> this one. Right. Yeah, it's a concert at the uh, uh, Pine Street Theater, mm -hmm. I think from 1990, I'm not sure. But it says something about um, how they felt about most of these songs on the B-side of Bleach. Let's have a listen to just a small fragment of uh, the live version of Scoff. Sounds a bit more energetic. Yeah, much more metal-like, even a bit faster. <laughs> yeah, and his voice sounds a bit more rough. Yep. And it's funny that you say that's a bit metal-like, because I think one of the things that makes it sound uh, a bit like a metal song is using the, the double bass drum. Right, yeah. It's really a typical metal yep. thing to do. So, Okay, so anything else about uh, Scuff or want to move on to Swap Meet? Um, let's move on. Okay, so here it is. Apparently the working title of this uh, song was uh, White Trash <laughs> and then he considered writing uh, Swap Meat with M-E-A-T right. as uh, like a sort of a pun I suppose mm -hmm. but uh, in the end it's called Swap Meat and I've read that that's a sort of a local Aberdeen thing like a gathering of people selling yep. off secondhand stuff and yep. food as well that they prepared especially to, to, to trade off yep. on, those, yep. on those gatherings. And uh, I must say, I, I really like the concept of this song. Yeah. The lyrics, I think the lyrics are better than the music. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. But to me, Kurt's lyrics are best um, at the moments that he is really uh, depicting a scene. He sees it in his head and he writes that, then we see it as well. Um, and I think this is one of those songs where he is really depicting something that he knows and, and yeah. that he wants to talk about. Um, and that makes it into more coherent and interesting lyrics, I guess. Yeah, and it's in yeah. a, written in the third person yeah. about a man and a woman at the swap meet. Exactly. But it's not like a story with a with a real narrative or a plot no. or anything. But it's just like a little like a little sketch of yeah. people that are, are going to uh, gatherings <laughs> like that and exactly. that he knew from his youth, I suppose. Yeah. So I, I yeah I, I like the concept of it. I yeah. was saying. I agree. I do think that maybe these two songs, the previous one and this one, shouldn't have been put back to back like this mm. because they're too similar. For me, that doesn't work because it sort of all blends into one thing. I must say, I think you just uh, described <laughs> the complete B side of this album because I, I think um, yeah. that yeah, that's a problem with with this collection of songs in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, I pretty much like most of the songs, but I don't think they really work together because the the most um, True. the best songs they had and the the songs that stood out the most they put it all on the first half of the album, yeah. which yeah. was probably a smart thing to do. Talked about this before, but the guys from Sub Pop decided uh, yep. 
to do it this way and I think they were right in doing it. Yeah, yeah, definitely because don't know it by heart, but I read the order that the band wanted previously, which I don't think was like the best idea. So this is definitely better. I just looked it up in my notes and yeah. um, the order uh, of the songs that the band uh, wanted yeah. to have, they would also put Swap Meat in as the second song of the B side. Yeah. But the rest of it is completely different. Exactly. So it would have created the different dynamics because then you would have first Love Buzz and then Swap Meat. So right. that would yeah. Yeah, be an uh, interesting change of, of dynamics and yeah. sound by that. Yeah, definitely. And I must say there's, there's some pretty good writing here. Um, I'm, I'm really happy that he didn't call it white trash because yep. it would be so, you know, taking those people down. And, exactly, yeah. Uh, you know, with lines as um, um, he loves her more than he would ever show. You know, there's some sensitivity in there as yeah, well. It's not just, oh, fuck yeah. off, you stupid people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And for some reason, I always really like the line, um, he keeps the cigarettes close to the heart. He keeps the bitterness close to the heart. Yep. I don't know really what it means, but it sounds really cool <laughs> and interesting. Those lines have, um, I mean, they have a poetic quality, obviously. Like you said, I mean, he, he, he shows those those people and you sort of feel how they're feeling and that yeah. that works with those lines as well, I think. Yeah. It's nice. You have anything um, to um, add about the music of this song? Again, there are some interesting things happening here, but it doesn't have enough hook for me, I think. Oh. I think this is, I, although I know that that this is a song that's that's quite popular with a lot of Nirvana fans. Which really? I, is it? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Um, which I get, definitely, but I tend to like songs that have like a clear hook much more. Oh. And this one is, is lacking that a bit for me. Yeah, true. It's also another song that they didn't continue to play live a lot. No. Yeah, it hasn't been covered a lot. Yeah, either, but we have an interesting cover, uh, a live cover actually, from a band called Goat Punishment. <laughs> yes. And that's the famous band Goat Punishment. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably a name that doesn't uh, ring a bell, but it's uh, like a, a stage name from the band Weezer. Uh, yeah, well, I must say you came up with it because yep. I, I didn't hear from this uh, until. Um, <laughs> earlier this week when exactly. you sent me an email like, I, hey, have you yeah, seen it exactly I didn't know this uh, previously either but I was doing some research and then I found it and apparently Weezer um, a band that most people will probably know from their like immense hits about 15-20 years ago Buddy Holly yeah that was That's the breakthrough a, that song that was their breakthrough song with a, with a, a video uh, from uh, the Happy Days series exactly yeah yeah, yeah that one um, and they made great albums after that as well uh, yeah. but if, if you're like Weezer Weezer who were they then yeah. probably then you recognize them you Hashpipe was always one of my favorite uh, Weezer <laughs> right, songs yeah that was a good one as well <laughs> but um, apparently um, the the guys from Weezer are really big Nirvana fans and actually one of the reasons for them to start their band back in the days was because they loved Nirvana amongst others and they did a concert covering only Nirvana songs yeah <laughs> just playing 90 minutes of Nirvana song and they used that goat punishment um, moniker to, uh, to yeah. do that yeah and the next time they performed as Goat Punishment, they yes. only played Oasis covers. Yes. So, so <laughs> yeah, make of that what you will. <laughs> they have an eclectic taste. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, let's listen to the uh, live version of uh, Swap Meat by uh, Goat Punishment, aka Weezer. <laughs> Well, that didn't sound too bad, did it? No, no. Um, I think they tried it to do it quite faithfully. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a it's a it's weird to hear this song done by a singer who has such a different voice. Yeah. It sort true. of doesn't fit. No. No. But, yeah. Yeah, I I, I kind of like it. Yeah. I also, I like it well. also think it's pretty cool that they uh, mostly played lesser-known songs yep. of, of the Nirvana catalog yep. uh, in that concert. So. Uh, that was pretty cool. And they recently toured with the Foo Fighters. So oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. <laughs> Making that connection even now. What? What? what uh, that doesn't have anything to do with Nirvana. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, wait. Isn't Chet Channing the singer of the Foo Fighters? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Mr. Mustache. was uh, Mr. Mustache, one of the most funny titles, uh, <laughs> I think. Kurt once drew a comic called Mr. Mustache yep. about a typical redneck guy with a mustache and a can of beer in his hand uh, who um, lies his um, ear on the belly of his uh, pregnant wife and he says that he wants a really American, typical American male and, um, and then uh, the final picture shows the kid kicking through the um, the belly of the wife in yeah. his, right in his face so it's a pretty graphic uh, <laughs> graphic comic um, and I think that has led a lot of people to think that um, this song is also about typical redneck yep. chauvinistic males but I don't think that really fits with the lyrics no I agree it's, it's, it's logical to think that because of the title but yeah. as we know the titles didn't always reflect exactly what was happening in a song so it could well have been that this was just sort of a, a match of, of words of something that Kurt was thinking about and isn't exactly the same story as the yeah. Mr. Moustache. I, 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 I don't think it is. Um, I think it's more about, um, well, you could say the other side of the coin. Mm -hmm. uh, at this time, Kurt was living in um, Olympia, which had this like uh, more artistic scene, but also with some um, strict ethics. I think there were a, lo a lot of people in the scene were against using alcohol and drugs, yep. uh, eating meat. Well, they were uh, hipsters. They were <laughs> hipsters, so to speak, and yep. um, 
well, Curtis saying, yes, I eat cow, I am not proud. So yeah. I think it was more about that. And, you know, yeah. help me trust your mighty wisdom delivered in that sarcastic way. I don't, exactly. Yeah. I think it's it doesn't, more about that. Yeah, it doesn't, something like, I eat cow, I'm not proud, um, doesn't sound like a typical redneck parody. No. <laughs> that would be probably, um, I am proud. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Big difference. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So I, I think what happened is that Kurt just liked the idea of having a song on there called Mr. Mustache because yeah. he, he reused titles and, yeah. and just general words that he liked yeah. uh, on several other occasions as well. And also there's an uh, early take of this song in which he didn't have the lyrics just yet. Yeah, right. And maybe, but I don't know that, maybe the song was already called Mr. Mustache before yeah. he even wrote the lyrics. Yeah. Could well be. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever heard that version? No, I haven't oh. actually. Oh, I know me, it's let, there, but... I... Let me play it for you. I, I, I love uh, how he uh, handles <laughs> it. I really love that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's because yeah, yeah, it's so clear that it was never meant to be released or anything. Well. And little did he know that uh, 30 years later. Yeah, we would listen to this. Um. Yeah. And it shows that he hadn't finished the lyrics just yet, but he no. knew how we wanted it to sound. Yeah. Yeah, because it's that's interesting because this is it is exactly what is eventually on the track. Yeah. as far as uh, uh, the, the sound and the amount of, of words and whatever. And syllables, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. the same. So um, it also shows that he just needed to write down words that fit yeah. that structure. Exactly. And the timing and, mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, he always said himself that people shouldn't um, attach too much meaning to his lyrics. Yeah. And well, he wasn't completely wrong, of course, by that. So we'll refrain from that as well. No, we won't. No, we'll <laughs> analyze them all. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there's another um, musically interesting uh, thing about this song, which, uh, again, you uh, pointed uh, yes. out to me, and because I never heard this song, uh, I must say. Um, a striking similarity with the guitar riff, or I think it's the bass line, bass, yeah. from um, the song European Sun by The Velvet Underground. And I have that one lined up as well. So pretty clear uh, similarity. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm not sure if it's intentional or just by accident. I mean, they they were big fans of the Velvet Underground. I think we mentioned them before. Yeah, we did. And um, I can imagine that if you listen to something quite often, then <laughs> it gets uh, gets into your music. So yeah. Um, but it's a totally it's interesting because it's it's 
obviously a totally different song and also I mean the Velvet Underground and their sound is is pretty unique like bands and artists from from all decades have listed them as an influence but nobody has ever sounded exactly like the Velvet no. Underground um, so I think this is a really nice combination of being influenced by them and then making something entirely different <laughs> yeah yeah it yeah. totally did even though the the, uh, the riff is pretty much the same it, it always sounds uh, a bit to me like like something you play to uh, practice yep <laughs> like you want to <laughs> exactly. practice playing the notes on the, on, the, on the guitar or or the bass for that matter yeah um, yeah yeah it's basically playing a short scale and being as fast as you can <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, so, yeah. yeah oh they could do it faster i'm <laughs> yeah. sure yeah yeah but it's uh it's a uh, Cool slim similarity, and it's also interesting that it's already the second time that the Velvet Underground yep. uh, uh, comes up. I must say I don't know that much about the Velvet Underground, so I'm. Uh, Should I'm, I educate you? Uh, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, and if you do a good job, we'll start a Velvet Underground <laughs> podcast. Uh, next. Yeah, no, I don't know that much about them. Actually, for a long, long time, all uh, I knew about the Velvet Underground was the Nirvana cover of uh, "Here She Comes Now." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, sifting? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I must say, I think this is the weakest track on the <laughs> album. I don't really like this one. Um, no, it's. I think it's slow, repetitive, a bit. Yeah, frankly, just a bit boring. Yeah. Not very interesting lyrically as well. I think it's a. Yeah, it's a. It's not a good song to end the album with because originally this was the this last was, track on yeah. the album. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going down, going out with a bang, so to speak. No, it sort of it flows away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to me, this song feels like it's not entirely finished yet. I think there's some interesting stuff in there. I like the the well, like the, the exactly the point that you just uh, played, like the the the, the changing in tempo, which yeah. is nice. I like how the guitar is slightly off, which makes an interesting sound because it's sort of you feel that there's something like not matching together. Yeah. Um, and I just wish that they explore that a bit more. And maybe even the fact that it's a bit slow, like did more with that as well. Because like you say, now it feels just sort of repetitive. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it could be an interesting song. It just, yeah. Isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it's, it's definitely not one of my, my favorites. For me, there's a discrepancy between sort of the lyrics and the music in this one. Um, in most of the other songs, you you, even if you don't always catch um, the story behind the lyrics, they do have like the same sort of feeling. And for this song, it it doesn't really feel like like the lyrics and the music fit together somehow. No, it's it's like the the music feels quite at ease, um, but the lyrics aren't really. There's something going on there that just yeah. doesn't fit. Wait, l l let me play just a s uh, small piece of it uh, in which we actually hear some of the yep. lyrics. Because <laughs> <laughs>
singing isn't that inspired either. I no, feel. No, uh, no, I feel the same way. Um, and apparently this, this lyrics-wise, it should be a sort of like a reckoning with, with like people who told him to do stuff. Yeah, pretty much every authority yeah. figure you can imagine, yeah. like parents and teachers and yeah. preachers. Exactly. But, you know, um, but you wet, wet yeah. your bed, <laughs> wouldn't it be fun? I, I it's, like it's, it's, it's not very interesting lyric-wise and, and you don't feel it. No. I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't really know. When I was reading about the song, somebody um, uh, theorized that uh, the line "Your eyes, teacher said" would refer to if you're uh, in class and you've smoked weed, mm -hmm. that your eyes, all um, oh, right, um, yeah, of course, um, turn red. Yeah. So um, I could relate to that just a little bit <laughs> um, because I, I remember once in high school um, that we skipped a class and we. Uh, smoked some weed and then we went back to school right. and it was a horrible idea because <laughs> yeah. uh, I was really afraid that I would get caught and uh, yeah. I don't think I ever did that again but uh, <laughs> at least it was something I could relate to yeah. but I'm not even sure if that's what Kurt meant with your eyes teacher said preacher said no uh, I don't know no but if if there's something in there that that <laughs> that you can relate to, that's something, right? Yeah. Even if yeah. that isn't exactly what it's about, but that's always the, the thing with, with uh, lyrics anyway. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's totally true. To me, this song feels like, I can imagine if if I were to see Nirvana like play live and I didn't know them, like you would be at a festival or whatever, and there's this band and they're playing a song and they play like, first song you think oh yeah nice nice good good I'll, I'll stay and listen and then they play this one and then you'd be nah, yeah <laughs> nah, okay I'll, I'll go and check out some other band I mean that yeah. it has sort of like yeah it's yeah, yeah sure it's okay but uh, I've heard this like yeah done I, better by so many other yeah that's true yeah yeah also I don't think that the song benefits from um, its position as the last track no. on the album like I said well I think I'm basically like all the tracks on the B side, but not as a, as a whole. And then this one, one of the weaker songs uh, that also sounds a bit the same as the previous ones, but yep. just um, like lesser version, like a lesser version. Yeah. Then yeah. If they if, if they put this one before Swap Meet, that would have been better, I think, because then you at least have like a slow number in between, and you'd go out on my moustache with this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, also, there's an interesting, um, well, not that interesting, but there's a <laughs> there's an outtake from this song. Um, again, I think because maybe Kurt hadn't uh, finished the lyrics, or because they didn't just um, they just didn't record the lyrics because it's a completely instrumental version. Right. Uh, so let's have a listen to that as well. it sort of sounds like a Metallica tribute band or something like that. <laughs> a, s a slow Metallica tribute yes. band? Yeah. yeah. Well, there, um, there is a very uh, slow version of it, uh, a cover version, which I kind of liked, especially for a song okay. that I don't really like, <laughs> by a band called Big Hush. I took it from a, a, 
a tribute album that's um, uh, made of uh, entirely uh, dedicated to the Bleach album. Oh, yeah, so right, they covered yeah, every um, single song yeah. uh, on, on Bleach. Uh, several bands uh, did. And this one well, kind of stood out to me. Uh, so here's Shifting in the version of Big Hush. you nirvana <laughs> or big hush oh i don't know <laughs> i was sort of kind of interested until the harmonies kicked in i was like no no why not <laughs> no that no that doesn't work for me it, it's it's interesting it's interesting um but no no, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, like we said, it was supposed to be the last uh, track on the uh, album, and it is on some original versions of yep. the album. Um, but pretty soon there was a reissue, and they put on two extra tracks. First of the two bonus tracks was a big cheese, which they had already recorded as a B-side for the uh, Love Bus single. Yes. And I think it's the exact same version. I think so. Maybe they remixed it. I'm not a hundred percent sure about the about that but um it sounds uh, like this why they left off this song initially yes and no <laughs> <laughs> I explain I, yourself yes um, I think this like this version is really rough it still sounds like a demo um, it doesn't work for me as as an album track hmm. but you can hear that this is that there's a good song somewhere in there and I can I can imagine that this would have went down really well at live shows. Um, yeah. and, and I wish that some of that energy would have been on here. Yeah. Because that's lacking. Yeah, maybe you're right. I, I, I kind of like this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would. But I like the song. I just, yeah. it's sort of the, yeah. the, 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 the production. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I get your point. But uh, uh, even this version, I like better than, let's say, Sifting. Right. Yeah. Or, well, I, I, I would trade it for some of the other tracks as well, I think. And I'm not alone in this opinion because uh, apparently this is one of the favorite Nirvana tracks from our good friend Chad Channing. Ah. And I can understand why, because yep. uh, there's some really cool drum parts on this. Yep. The, yeah, the, the, the guitar parts aren't that um, interesting or yep. that, that complex even. Like most uh, songs uh, on this album, it's uh, only like uh, based around two or three chords yep. 
in this case even uh, even two but the, the drumming is really really cool you yeah. wrote some really nice um, drum parts for it definitely definitely i've always wondered i don't know if you know about that but it's always been said that this song was about one of the two like uh, managers of the record label. Yeah, uh, Bruce Pavitt and Jonathan Poneman. Yeah, apparently this was about Jonathan. Um, I mean, big cheese. It's not about cheese. No, <laughs> that's like the slang for the for the big boss. Or exactly. Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But seeing how long this song was already on their repertoire, it sort of feels weird to me. Yeah, because it's, it's like <laughs> the whole problems that they had with their label and, and differences in opinions that came later than this song. I yeah, think. I totally, I, I, <laughs> I, I've been wondering about the exact same thing because this song was the B-side of their very first single. Exactly. And at that point, Kurt was really happy that he could record a single. Exactly. I don't think he, yeah, well, I, I don't know, but I'm questioning if he really was already um, um, having hard feelings about uh, those two guys. He was really happy with the single at first. Yep, yep, and definitely. they re-dismissed it, but you know, that's what he did with a lot of things. Yeah, yeah and, and also I think that like the lyrics are about like corporate managers and stuff like that. But that could have easily been about lots of other people in yeah, general. Yeah, I mean, he has worked shitty jobs exactly. for, for a couple of years yep. at that point. So. And, and also, let's not forget that he tried to get uh, a record deal with a lot of labels who yeah. turned him down. Yeah. So and, it and, could and, have and, been about those other labels as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this is the very first original song that Nirvana ever yes. released. I mean, it's pretty cool that you, <laughs> your very first song already start um, fighting with your... Uh, Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Record label bosses, but uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not convinced. But no, maybe it's something that he said like later on. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure where. Maybe he wrote it about people like that, like bosses, authority figures. Exactly. And then later he said, yeah, it's about guys like exactly. those guys yeah. from Sapa. Yeah. And then people took it, oh, he wrote it about, yes. specifically about yeah. him. But uh, I don't know. No. Timeline wise, that doesn't add up. So. No. No, that's that's uh, that's right. Um, and also from this version, there's an uh, um, alternate uh, take, and I think again, but we'll have to listen for it. It's in a different key. the harmonies are uh, are not no. uh, in this version um, does that make you uh, appreciate the harmonies in the final version a bit more uh, yeah yeah definitely I mean that's that's I'm, <laughs> I'm always happy as soon as there's a bit of harmony in, in I know that's why I asked <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but 
However, this version does have a bit of energy that the other version lacks, I think. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a nice song. Yeah. So I, I get why they threw it on there um, as a, like an extra track. Yeah. Um, I don't get why they chose uh, the next song <laughs> to put on uh, the re-release of the album. It's a 1 minute and 43 seconds long song called Downer. Again, based around just two chords. Yep. I don't think it's a, it's their best song. I think at this point, Kurt was way past this yep. level of songwriting. He tried to imitate Black Flag. Yeah. Um, this is definitely like the, the Henry Rollins way of, of not singing, but just making your statements on the music. Yeah. <laughs> and he tried to imitate that, and, and later on he dismissed it as... Yeah, as, it, it, it wasn't his style. No, it, it he tried really it, which is, which is yeah. nice, but it doesn't belong on a CD. On the other hand, as a fan, you want to hear everything, so... Yeah, that's true, but, but well, it's like a typical track that you want to put out later on like a box set. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's, have a listen yeah. to this interesting early song that he wrote, yes. and you can hear what he was trying to do, but yep. he was still trying to find his own voice and his own style and yep. his own message. But um, yeah, somebody made a decision to put it on uh, on um, the Bleach album, at least on most versions of it. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't agree, but I think I've made that clear. <laughs> yeah, the way that sometimes songs were just added and then, and then taken off again and whatever, wasn't that logical back then and it wasn't logical later on with those re-releases either because it sort of feels like they just put something on there that was convenient just yeah. like you said with like the live versions on the 30th anniversary is like slightly random <laughs> yeah they just took a, a live show from well roughly that period yeah and which, which had probably a, a, a good quality of audio and then put it on there yeah. and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know who made the decision to put a downer on, uh, on the album, but uh, I do know that Nirvana had better songs yep. and had even recorded better songs yep, that definitely. weren't on here because they were later released on the uh, Incesticide album. Yep. Um, so that kind of puzzles me. But uh, hey, like I said, it's only one minute and <laughs> exactly. 43 seconds. So. Uh, so um, to close off uh, side B of Bleach, the album as a whole, how do you um, judge it? I think it's it's an interesting album with like highs and lows. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not perfect. You can hear bits of, of the Nirvana style in there. Um, and you can also hear a lot of external influences that they were trying yeah. out. All of that combined makes it um, a less than perfect album. It's It makes sense that at first this wasn't like, I mean, some some artists like released their first album and then everyone's like, oh my God, this yeah. is, um, that didn't happen yet with this album. Uh, people later on 
when Neurama became yeah. really big, uh, came back to it and discovered it. Um, and rightly so, because there's a lot of great stuff on here. But especially album-wise, uh, which back in the days was was pretty important, it's, yeah. it's not... Um, it doesn't convince enough yet. Do you still but listen yeah. to the album? Yeah, Even if you're not, much. if you're not preparing a new <laughs> podcast about it. Yeah, not that much. No, no. Also, I think because the songs that are on there that I really like are also on other albums or compilations, and there is versions of that that you yeah. listen to. It's been it's been great, like really doing that in-depth listening again for the podcast and then sort of re-evaluating what you liked about it yeah. um, and there's there's great stuff on there but it it's it's not perfect yet no no i totally agree um and i think it's it's pretty unbalanced yeah um, definitely yeah like i said the, the b-side is uh, um, really needed some different flavors yep. as well like the A-side has yep. a lot more variation uh, on it. And, and also uh, that, that what you said about like the, the, the last, last song on there. I think if, if it gone out with a bang, you would have felt more that it was yeah. like one album. And now it just sort of fizzles out. Yeah, they, they, they should have um, saved a strong song yep. to, to end the album, uh, in my opinion. Kurt also said himself that he thought the album was really one-dimensional mm -hmm. and well um, like I just said he had a habit of dismissing his own work yeah. <laughs> and being happy with it at first and then pretty soon uh, have second thoughts about it yeah. and then at least claiming uh, that he would <laughs> totally hate it uh, but he, he isn't wrong I mean it is pretty one-sided yeah. and I think in for for a part it has to do with the production yeah like we said they had only uh, Six hundred seventeen dollars <laughs> and some cents uh, and some cents, <laughs> um, and they had only five sessions. Yeah, uh, they put on some demo recordings on here. Yep. So yeah, you can you can hear that. Yeah, um, but also it's his songwriting. Yeah, um, a lot of the um, same chords. Yeah, yeah, and also lyrically, uh, I think there are some really nice lines on here and some interesting themes, but it's a lot of the same stuff yep. about his childhood and his youth and uh, authority figures in general. Yeah. And sometimes it feels sincere and sometimes it feels a bit uh, generic. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it works and, and sometimes it doesn't. It's a bit of a hit and miss yeah. Yeah. album. And I think you can also hear that, I mean, they were still young. Um, they were trying to find their voice uh, as a band and that's, that's also something I think you hear sometimes that it it feels constructed yeah. um, in lyrics and also in the sound and and that's sort of where it's lacking. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But you can see something something in there that would later really became uh, would la later really flourish. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and like I said, I mean, I know back then that I was like blown away hearing this, and lots of people were. Yeah. So, there is enough in there that that at that time was really sensational. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, um, yeah, it, it wasn't um, a big commercial success, but it wasn't meant to be no. because it was on a small underground label. And exactly. um, uh, keeping that in mind, it, it did pretty well. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I thought, uh, 
I'm thinking about the, the big cheese uh, story. Mm -hmm. um, one uh, very important thing that happened during the recording sessions of the album is that uh, they got a contract. Right. Yeah. I love this story. I don't know <laughs> exactly. Uh, awesome. <laughs> I don't know the exact date, but at one day Kurt uh, went to the library and uh, he read a book about the music industry, and um, and then he got the idea that they should have uh, a contract. Yep. Because they didn't. They yep. already started recording the album, but everything was done by handshake. Yep. None of the sub sub pop bands had a contract. No. And he talked about this with uh, Chris. And then <laughs> one night, Chris got really drunk. <laughs> well, not just one night. I think most, most nights, nights Chris got really yep. drunk. But on this particular night, he decided to go to one of the uh, Sub Pop owners. I forgot if it was uh, Bruce or, or Jonathan. But um, he, <laughs> uh, he went to his house. He started banging on the, <laughs> on the windows. Um, the guy came home late because he was at a party, I think. <laughs> Um, uh, at his neighbors or something like that and then just Chris really drunk demanded a contract and he was well he's a really big guy and he was pretty th uh, threatening um, <laughs> but those record uh, um, label owners they didn't have a lot of knowledge about stuff like this either so they just you know looked up like a standard <laughs> contract and they made it up really really quickly and then they signed it for I think it was for three albums yeah like that, yeah. uh, and at that time it felt like a big victory for Nirvana yep. because haha now they had a contract and they were entitled to do more uh, recording sessions and they would make money from it but in the end it, <laughs> it pretty much saved the sub pop record label exactly it, it, it wasn't the best thing for Nirvana but it was for sub pop so uh. <laughs> yeah uh, well I think Nirvana did well uh, yeah, financially yeah, yeah. as yeah. well yeah of course but and, and it, it was more of the benefits eventually yeah. for sub pop absolutely yeah and so sub pop um, um, yeah survived and and they would put out really cool music uh, yeah. later on even uh, still do yeah absolutely one of my favorite bands called uh, Iron and Wine they're on the sub pop label right. at the moment yeah. Uh, so if you're listening to this, uh, check them out as well, but don't do that if you expect something that's Nirvana. in the realm of Nirvana, because it's uh, more in the realm of, uh, what are called? Big, big Hush. hush. Yeah, yeah. I was just... <laughs> if you thought, well, the Big Hush version of uh, uh, Sifting was the best thing I've heard in this entire podcast, then check out Iron and Wine, and also if you like really good songs. I, yeah. I, I can vouch for Iron and Wine being better than <laughs> Big Hush. <laughs> Big Hush. <laughs> so yeah. If, yeah. If, if you were torn by Big Hush, then do still try Iron and Wine. <laughs> yeah. 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 It just reminded me the whole Big Cheese story. It's, it's yeah. so bizarre to look back in history and see how much coincidence went down. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, it's still it's still so interesting that that nirvana and sub pop sort of rose to fame together and i there's not that many record labels that that you really know about that no. well um and and like we mentioned last time like the, the guys from sub pop really wanted to be a label like that like a label yeah. that people would know and they definitely achieved that so yeah oh uh, in the meantime, I looked it up in my notes. Mm -hmm. uh, the book Kurt read was um, All You Need to Know About the Music Business. Ah, that sounds like a 
yeah. the right book to learn. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, 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 Chris going to Bruce Pavitt's house mm-hmm. to demand the contract. So not to the big cheese. Not to the big cheese, <laughs> or I don't know. <laughs> and it was January 1st. I'm not really sure if I'm reading that correctly because I write really sloppy. Uh, they signed the contract. So apparently. Well, that's if he was at the party that night, that would make sense if it's New Year's. Yeah, day. maybe the next day. I, I, I don't know exactly, but I, I, I think it's really funny. <laughs> and uh, funny story about how small things can have very big consequences. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think that's mostly it for the for the yeah, um, Bleach so. album. Um, well, one more, one more thing. It was uh, the recording sessions were finished uh, uh, at the end of January, but then the album only got released um, uh, in June yep. of the same year, 1989. I don't know why it took so long, but... No, I know that the band was really annoyed by that, but yeah. there must have been a reason for it. Sub Pop wouldn't... Um, sit on something that could make them money potentially so there must have been some reason for them yeah. not to <laughs> release it yet um, and what the band did for most of uh, 1989 was tour yep. and tour and tour and tour and play gigs play gigs and play gigs for uh, very small crowds small most of crowds. the time <laughs> um, but about those um, uh, touring days uh, of Nirvana um, right before and right after the release of the Bleach album. Um, That's what we're going to talk about next time. Yes. So uh, I hope you will uh, join me again next time. Um, Is there any song from the B-side of uh, Bleach that you'd like to request uh, to to go out with? Uh, Let's let's then get back to, um, to Big Cheese. So um, that was it for this time. I want to thank you for uh, joining me. Thank you for having me once again in your kitchen. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> also known as the Nirvana the, Podcast oh, Studio. Yeah, sure, yeah. yeah, I mean, why do you think... Uh, <laughs> Where famous drummers come to visit. Yeah, absolutely. And steal fruit from my fridge. <laughs> put, put that down, Chad. <laughs> um, also, I want to uh, thank... Um, uh, our great um, uh, piano player Joep Hulleghi yes. from the <laughs> Nirvana <laughs> Piano or Piano Nirvana no it's Nirvana Piano I from the know. Nirvana Piano yes. channel on YouTube at SoundCloud on which he uh, plays a lot of Nirvana songs on piano it sounds pretty cool and uh, of course I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast and we hope you'll tune in again next time bye bye